Welcome to First Presbyterian Church in North Palm Beach, Florida. We exist to help people pursue and share gospel-driven lives. We hope whether you're investigating faith, a seasoned follower of Jesus, and anywhere in between, this podcast helps you connect with Jesus. Faithful God, you tell us that the grass withers, the flower fades, but your word stands forever. Open us to hear that word. Give us grace to receive your good tidings and open our eyes to see the glory of Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen. Friends, listen now to the book that we love from Isaiah 40. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly, to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out in the wilderness. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be brought low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people or grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The glass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Get you up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead the mother sheep. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the most fascinating renditions of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen that I have listened to was written and recorded by an indie rock artist named David Bazan. David Bazan is a musician from the Seattle area. He grew up in a, in a very devout fundamentalist Christian house. His dad was a pastor as a kid. And as an adult, he went on to struggle with and eventually lose his faith. And much of his, much of his music chronicles that journey and struggle. Now, several years ago, he wrote a Christmas album called Dark Sacred Night, which describes and chronicles his own strange and strained relationship 
with the Christmas holiday as someone who doesn't practice faith. He recorded several standard renditions of Christmas songs and carols, and then he did a, a version of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. The beginning of the, beginning of the song he, he performs in, in its traditional form, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, let nothing you dismay, remember Christ Jesus born on Christmas Day, tidings of comfort and joy. But then in the second verse of the song, he, he rewrites the verse and sings it to the traditional tune describing his own experience in his house as a kid. He, he says, after Thanksgiving, our folks unpacked the manger scene with Joseph, Mary, shepherds, and three kings on bended knee, but left the manger empty till we slept on Christmas Eve. Tidings of comfort and joy. Then in the final verse, he writes about his life in the present and says this, now my wife and children dream of gifts beneath the tree while I place in the manger baby Jesus figurine, sipping Christmas whiskey, wondering if I still believe in tidings of comfort and joy. Tidings of comfort and joy. I think that there's an awful lot of us that resonate with that. Whether you are someone who is not very connected to faith and this is kind of the one time of year you, you wind up in a church, or you're somebody for whom you're, you're a lifelong Christian, still in your unguarded moments, if you're like me, you, you wonder, does the, the Christmas story and the Christian story do they offer you any tidings of comfort that you can actually take seriously in your real life? Our family, many of you know, moved to Florida just a few years ago from Philadelphia, and it was around this time of year, in our first year here, that it really came home to us that we were in a very different place. I remember watching the lights go up around the holiday season and seeing one of my neighbors down the street construct a big light scene of Santa on a jet ski with dolphins in front of him, and realizing to myself, this is a very different neighborhood than my old neighborhood. <laughs> but our family, we, we still, uh, we still keep up a tradition that we had in our, in our former neighborhood in which we'd, we'd walk around during this time of year and see the lights that people would put up around their homes and in their yards and such. And I remember, I remember our first year here as we walked our neighborhood being struck by, by one house in my neighborhood that had, in the front lawn, put up a scene of baby Jesus with Joseph and Mary, and then right beside it on one side, put up a little Olaf the Snowman from Frozen, and on the other side, a Frosty the Snowman. And I was struck by that because I think that that's how an awful lot of people think about, this, about the story of Jesus' birth. Fine and cute for the kids, but not anything to take really seriously. And so we wonder, you know, is, is there any reason to take this story more seriously in your actual life than Frosty the Snowman or Olaf? This ancient announcement from Isaiah 40. It brings to us good news, good tidings, worth taking seriously 
in the real world in which we live. And so I want to invite you simply to listen to these words from Isaiah together with me for a few minutes. The Christian story, it offers people actual comfort and real joy in our adult lives because at its essence, it's about tidings, which is to say news. Isaiah here is trumpeting the promise of a day when God would arrive in the world in a once and for all fashion. Isaiah promises a day in verse 5 in which the invisible God's glory and beauty and strength and goodness would dazzle and be on display out in the open for the whole world to see. Isaiah acknowledges that that our lives are, are fragile, tedious, and brief. That at our best, human beings are unreliable. But he promises a moment when God would speak his durable and reliable word to us in an unreliable world. Isaiah promises a day when God would arrive in the world in strength, bearing the divine arms and rolling up the almighty's sleeves. And also arrive in the world in a way that's tender. Isaiah pictures God in verse 11 like a gentle shepherd, feeding, feeding his helpless and wandering little sheep, gathering them up into his arms, pressed against his chest. At this moment, the prophet tells us in verse 9, is a moment that will be good tidings for the whole world, or good news. That word in the language, this part of the Bible was originally written in, in Hebrew, is the word basar. And this is a significant text in the scriptures because this is the first use of the term gospel or good news in the Old Testament. Oftentimes when, when we hear that word in our cultural moment, we mostly think about it as, as either a musical style, you know, that artist performed with a gospel choir, or we think about it as a bland, nice, polite church word. But that wasn't so in ancient Palestine. In the Semitic world from which this text comes, the word good news or gospel was used to describe a report announcing great news that would, that would affect everyone everywhere. The news of a king's victory, for example, or of a or of an oppressor, an enemy that's been defeated. Or in the case of this text in Isaiah, the good news to people living in grinding suffering as exiles, that they're going to be able to come home. On my phone, my news app sends me alerts. The, the little BBC app will, will play a little jingle that I can't figure out how to get it to turn off. When there's some significant moment of news from my pocket, I'll hear a bump, a bump, bump, bump. I look at my phone and see at the top of it, breaking news headline, and then whatever the announcement is. What Isaiah is telling us is that this moment will be a breaking news headline for the entire world. Now, I think that these words are especially helpful for us, I'll say as an aside, if you are somebody for whom you know, you're, you're here with a friend, but, but you're not real connected to Christian faith, or, or you're pretty skeptical of all of this, but, but it's December, and so, and so here you are. 
Because these words show us what, the Christ, what Christianity really is at its heart. And in particular, they, they show us that Christianity is not just a set of ideas or, or a philosophy or some archaic set of rules that you can prefer or not prefer. At its heart, Christianity is news. There's a, a man named Jim who, uh, who I've been friends with for some time that he and his family would often one time a year come and attend our church's services on Christmas Eve. Our, our kids went to school together and his, his wife was from a, a Christian background but wasn't really a practicing follower of Jesus anymore. And Jim, for his part, was just in a thoroughgoing way skeptical of, of everything. But he would nevertheless, you know, come along on, on Christmas Eve. And I remember having a conversation with him after one of our Christmas Eve services and I asked him what he, what he thought of the whole thing. And he said, well, you know, this wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I took that as a win. And then he said this. He said, this, this stuff is nice if you're into it, if you're into this kind of thing. You know, under, underneath of there was his assumption that Christianity is, is a set of ideas or or it's, a, or it's a philosophy or a set of rules that, that you can just be into or not into, that you can prefer or not prefer. But what these words from Isaiah show us is that Christianity isn't just a set of ideas, it's news. The Christian story is an announcement about something that has actually happened on our soil, in history, in the real world, that now changes everything for everyone, everywhere, forever. Think about just the way that the story of Jesus begins. It does not begin like, like some fairy tale. It doesn't begin once upon a time. Think about how the book of Luke begins announcing the birth of Jesus. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that the whole world was to be registered. This was the first registration. It was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All were made to go to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from Nazareth in Galilee to the city of David called Bethlehem. Does that sound like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? No. Now, the story of Jesus is news about something that has happened among us that has changed the world forever. God's tidings promised here and arriving in Jesus are a breaking news headline for everybody everywhere. And this moment promised in Isaiah Centuries later, as we follow the story of God, would arrive at the birth of Jesus. At the birth of Jesus, God comes onto our soil to find us and bring us back home to himself. The invisible creator's glory would dazzle for the whole universe to see. Not in some show of supernatural fireworks or military might, but in the quiet birth of a helpless, squealing infant to two unwed teenage parents in a back shed in a feed trough in an unimportant town two millennia ago. 
That is the paradox and wonder of the good news of how God arrives in the world. The earliest Christmas sermon that we have that we have preserved in history is a is one that a pastor named John Chrysostom preached to his community in the fourth century. And I want you to I want you to just listen. He wonders as he wonders at the the mystery and the paradox of of the news of God's arrival in Jesus. You have this on the reflections page of your worship folder, and it'll be on the screens behind me. He, he says this. He says, "What shall I say?" And how shall I describe this birth to you? For this wonder fills me with astonishment. The ancient of days has become an infant. He who sits upon the sublime and heavenly throne now lies in a manger. And he who cannot be touched now lies subject to the hands of men. He who has broken the bonds of sinners is now bound by infant bands. But he's decreed that degradation shall become honor, infamy be clothed with glory, and total humiliation, the measure of his goodness. These words from Isaiah 40, they're actually quoted in the beginning of each of the four Gospels that tell us the story of Jesus. The point is that in Jesus, this promised moment that's finally arriving among us. In Jesus, God unveils his glory as he takes up the, the frailty, fragility, and confines of a helpless infant life. In Jesus living and teaching, and then in his unjust suffering and his sacrificial dying, God is exerting the divine almighty strength, but does so as the arms of Jesus are stretched wide on a cross to rescue us, forgive us, and embrace us. Jesus is God, our good shepherd, gathering us and embracing us to himself. Jesus is God, the good shepherd, laying down his life for the sheep. So, as we watch the story of Jesus, as we watch his living, watch his dying, and then watch his rising, we're, we're to have these words from Isaiah in our ears. Here, as we see Jesus die and rise, here is your God. Friends, that news, that God has arrived for us in Jesus, that's news that will give you comfort and joy in your real life. We think about that word comfort oftentimes as a, as a kind of soft milk toast term. We think about it mostly as distraction or escapism, as what you're doing when at the end of the day you recline in the lazy boy and flip the game on so that you don't have to think about your problems at the office. We think about it for what you're doing when you, when you spend a night binging on Netflix so that you don't need to think about your, your family's dysfunction. But our English word comfort, it actually, actually comes from the Latin cum fortis, and it means literally with strength. Biblical comfort, gospel comfort, is comfort with strength, it's vibrant, it's energetic. The good news of God's arrival is not about escapism from the messiness and darkness of the world. 
The good news of God arriving among us in Jesus is good news for all of the, for all of the darkness and violence and injustice of this world. Gospel comfort, Christmas comfort, is comfort with teeth. And so I want to simply conclude by, by offering you a couple of invitations from this text. First, I hope for all of us who are followers of Jesus that that especially this time of year, you experience the comfort of God's good tidings in the depths of your being. In verse two of our reading for today, it says, speak tenderly to God's people. I love how one Jewish biblical translator named Robert Alter translates that line. He, he translates it, speak to the heart of God's people. The good news of God arriving among us in Jesus, I hope you experience in the depths of who you are. Because that's news that, that we need this time of year. I read just this past week that, that suicide rates in the U.S. right now are actually at an all-time high. For an awful lot of people, and in a room this size, for, for a bunch of us, this is a dark time of year. There are some of you for whom, as you, as you watch other people around you race between the company holiday party and functions with friends and get-togethers with extended family, it, you know, it, it, presses, it presses on you, you know, how, how lonely you are in your life. There's some of you for whom, you know, this time of year with all the attendant extended family gatherings, it, it, spotlight, it spotlights the dysfunction in your own family or the estrangement that you live with between you and your family, or the, or the conflict in some of your close relationships. Some of you, you, know, you feel the shame that you carry in life much more deeply right now. Friends, listen. The Christmas tidings are good news of, of God arriving into the, into the dark parts of the world and the dark parts of your life, into your loneliness or depression, or anxiety, or shame. And so I, I hope that you experience the comfort of the news that God comes all the way in and all the way down into this actual world in Jesus. And there's an invitation in these words, too, for us to practice the comfort and joy of the gospel as well. Isaiah says in verses 3 and 4, prepare the way of the Lord, the valleys shall be lifted up, mountains and hills brought low. That's an image that, that the people who heard these words originally would have all been familiar with. And in the ancient world, when a king or a dignitary or a royal figure was going to visit some other city or some far-flung part of their kingdom, road work would begin. People would, would build roads where there weren't roads or repair roads that were in poor form or cut passes through a chain of mountains so that the king or royal figure could more easily make their way to wherever it is that they were going. In the beginning of the Gospels, John the, John the baptizer, as he's getting people ready to meet Jesus, he, he quotes these lines to invite people to practice repentance, to practice turning all the different parts of their lives toward God. And we're invited to do the same thing. 
in the Advent season, we reflect on the reality that we live between God's arrivals in the world. Between when God has come to us in Jesus and Jesus' birth, and, and on the other hand, between that day and the promised day in which God will come again to make all things new. And so, as we live between those two arrivals, it's our vocation as followers of Jesus to, to prepare the way, to do the road work in our own lives, to turn our whole selves toward, toward God, expectant of the day when God will arrive again. And so maybe as you take these words with you and reflect on this text in your life, you know, maybe, maybe it's time to think about, you know, what, what valley of, of shame and darkness do I need to let the love of God fill? You know, what, what mountain or hill of some growing pride or self-centeredness in my life do I need to allow the, the gospel to, to lower? What rough or uneven place of self-centeredness or greed do I need to let God's generosity and grace smooth out? How do I need to prepare the way for God in my own life? In 2015, when our family lived in Philadelphia, we were there as Pope Francis visited the city. He visited several cities in the Northeast on his first visit to North America. And during that time, about a million people flooded to Philadelphia for the chance to see Pope Francis. And ahead of his arrival, the city, the city for months was in a flurry of doing repairs and road work. There were, there were roads fixed and potholes filled in and lights that were rewired in, that had not been touched since the Revolutionary War, it felt like. And I remember one day there was, there was a city worker in, in front of my home who was fixing a pothole, a pothole that I don't think had been given attention since the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And, and I said to him, it's really something like all the, all the work that's, always, that's being done all, this, all of a sudden now. And he said, well, you know, we've never had a visit like this before. This is what Isaiah is telling us. Our world has never had a visit like this before. And the news of that visit, if you make it the center of your life, will bring you in your real life comfort and joy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us at FPC. For more info and to connect with us, check out www.firstpresnpb.org.